happy Wednesday, everyone. This is Megan and Julie. You're listening to the VBAC link. I'm currently driving in the car, and Julie is her, per usual, very organized, sitting in front of her computer. And we are excited to record today's episode. This is Kay. She's actually a virtual client of Julie's. So I'm excited to hear the story from her because I've kind of heard the story from Julie. So yeah, we're excited to get into this story. And of course, we have a review of the week. So since I'm driving, we're going to turn the time over to Julie since I can't read and drive. And then we will jump back into her story. Yes, we are quite a dynamic duo. We record in the dentist parking lot on the road in our home. <laughs> True. I remember, yeah. I remember the early days. Uh, oh my gosh, the episode with Dr. Cormano. Um, oh, man. I was in I was my in garage the in the car. And it was like 80 degrees outside. I was like sweating, but I didn't dare turn the car on because the AC noise. Oh my goodness. That was so crazy. Just, oh my gosh. We, we've come a long ways and then we've kind of regressed a little bit because of COVID. But one day we're going to be in a studio again and our kids' schedules won't be as crazy or they'll be crazier. We'll just, when they're all in school during the day, that'll just be nice because we won't have to worry about all the preschool shuffling around and all of those things. But for now... Yeah. This is what you get. We're real life moms just like you. So, so excited to share Kay's story today. But before we do, like Megan said, I have a review. And this review is from Apple Podcasts. And the reviewer's name is Matthias Band. The review title is So Much Love for This Podcast. And she says, I am a mom who has had two VBACs following the cesarean birth of my firstborn. If I could give a gift to my post cesarean while preparing for my VBACs, it would have been this podcast. I did not discover this podcast until after my last birth, but I have fallen in love with the hosts and the women who come here to share their stories. Listening to Julie and Megan feels so often like sitting down with friends due to their candor and obvious passion they bring to this facet of childbirth and early motherhood. I love this community they have created that genuinely understands the emotional impact of birth and the many reasons, both physical and psychological, women pursue VBAC. Julie and Megan are so knowledgeable, kind-hearted, and obviously hardworking. Keep up the good work. You are making an impact. That is so sweet. I I love that. Doesn't it just make you feel so good, Megan? Like, Not going to lie. Sometimes business is a little hard, and sometimes things get a little bit rough. And we love getting reviews like this because it really, really does keep us going. It lifts our spirits when times are more difficult than others. And really these kind words just, I, I just can't even tell you how many times they've lifted me up when I've just been really struggling with with life generally, but specifically some business stuff. So thank you. Thank you, Matthias dot band on apple Podcasts. we appreciate your review so much you are tuned in to the vback link podcast with julie frankham and megan heaton vback moms doulas and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a c-section together they have created a robust vback preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their vback Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. Okay, you guys. 
so, so excited to get into this story. Kay, if you're okay with it, we'd love to turn the time over to you. Wait, can sure. I talk first for a minute? <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Surprise. It would, be, it would not be out of character. It would be out of character for you not to say something. <laughs> yes. So... I just got to, you know how I am. I'm going to try and not take up too much time because I want to give Kay plenty of time to tell her story. But Kay was my first virtual client that did not live in Utah. And we all know that during COVID-19 and all the hospital restrictions and the lockdowns and the difficult um, policies and restrictions that are being placed on birthing families, most parts of the country don't allow doulas in. Um, there was a time when all of this started that they weren't even allowing birth partners and husbands in to be able to be there for these women's births. And it has been kind of a journey and we're, we're out of the part where they don't allow husbands or birth partners into the hospital, but some areas, most areas are still restricting doulas. We're really lucky here in Utah that where most hospitals are allowing one support person plus a doula right now, but in a lot of other parts of the country, it's not like that. So something that's really kind of become more emergent in the birth world, in the doula world, is virtual doula support. And what most people think of when they hear virtual doula support, I don't want to be on Zoom or FaceTime with my doula the whole time. That just sounds weird. She's like staring at us in the room, be like, good job on the phone. And let me tell you, virtual support looks so different than what you would think it would imagine. I've supported a couple clients locally, some virtual support just by force because hospitals switching policies the day before they had their baby or things like that. But, and I'm sure Megan, you've dealt with the same thing, but it was really neat to have Kay reach out to me from across the country, uh, wanting doula support initially because the hospitals that she was birthing at wasn't allowing doulas in. And she's like, heck, if I'm going to have a virtual doula, I might as well have the VBAC link as my virtual doula. <laughs> right. So luckily I had an opening and let me tell you, it was such a beautiful experience and I'm so glad that we connected. And the the hardest part about virtual support though is just not being there when the baby's born. Like I was literally in tears when, when Kay was having her baby because I just wasn't there with them. But it's pretty amazing. And so I'm sure Kay's going to share part of that story, part of that in her story mm -hmm. with you as far as how she prepared and things. But without further ado, I <laughs> am going to turn it over to my wonderful digital client who I feel just as close to as if it was an in-person client, Kay. Thank you. Yeah, so it was quite a journey. I had, this is my fourth child. So to go through the first one, was a vaginal birth. It took me 38 hours to birth that child. And, you know, recovery was fine. I had my second birth. And with this one, I opted to get an epidural right away. And I dilated to 10 centimeters and everything was going great. I pushed for five and a half hours only to have a C-section after that. Um, it turns out my little guy was wedged diagonally into my hip pocket. And when the doctor pulled him out, she goes, he's sunbathing because he had his hands behind his head and his legs crossed like he was lounging at the pool. And then my third baby um, was actually adopted in March. And we had been trying for about two and a half years and thought, you know, adoption is our way to go um, for the rest of the children that we're going to have in our family. And God had other plans. So we adopted my daughter in March and found out, I think it was in April or May, that I was pregnant. and. 
that was quite a surprise for both of us. <laughs> so while I was having my newborn, I started researching VBACs and came across the VBAC link. And when everything went virtual, I thought, hey, what the heck? I'm going to reach out to them and see if there's any chance that you would take a virtual client. And lo and behold, Julie got back to me and we started our journey together. So once I started to learn everything, I did uh, hypnobirthing. I did Julie and Megan's class on the VBAC link, which was absolutely amazing. I did spinning babies. I was doing my exercises. I had practiced how my birthing room was going to look. I had gotten tea lights and my essential oils. And I was really important to me because I was planning to birth at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. And I knew that they were a very big hospital and I wasn't sure what type of doctor I was going to get. So I stayed with my provider um, the whole time because you can kind of see so many different providers at that location and I had just expressed my wants and my needs to have the birth that I desired. And everyone was very supportive, but it wasn't, you know, I, I was still a little iffy on the whole situation. Um, and I knew that if I was going to have the birth that I desired, I had to keep training and keep learning. So I'm a bit OCD in that I had a color-coded binder with all of the different exercises and all of my notes that I had learned from Julie and from hypnobirthings and spinning I loved that binder. It made me so happy. Like, you're just like me. I feel like we're, you know, soul sisters or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. You're exactly like me. (laughs) But that's why I wanted to have you there so much because I knew as much as I planned and trained when it came down to labor, sometimes you just, you know, you kind of forget everything all at once. That's why it was so nice to have you there. So when the labor actually hit, that was kind of another story. I hit my due date and nothing. And I hit week 41 and nothing. And girl, I was doing everything. Julie knows I was doing my mile circuit. I was walking. I was doing curb walking. And this child just said, nope, I just want to stay in you for as long as I possibly can. So at week 41, and I think it was five days, they did schedule an induction. And I was so nervous. I almost left the hospital twice. I just didn't feel like my body was ready. And I think because of all the nerves, I just felt the baby just kind of pulling upwards instead of being in that nice, like, down position he had felt like he was in for the previous week. So, you know, after many conversations with Julie and then speaking with the doctors, I thought, okay, you know, we, we started the process. So after talking with Julie, I came up with the idea of, hey, can you try to do a membrane sweep first and give me a few hours? So that was nice. They did the membrane sweep. They did give me a few hours. Nothing really happened. With my previous birth, um, my water broke after my membrane sweep and things started to progress a little bit. But with this one, it didn't happen. So the next step was a Foley bulb. That went well. I dilated to four centimeters fairly quickly. And then I pounced on the ball like crazy and I just wasn't progressing any further. So they said, hey, you know, we want to do a slow Pitocin. So again, during all this time, I had Julie on text with my husband and I was texting with her. I think we did some phone calls too. And I kept saying, what, what's the best way to do Pitocin? What's, I just, I couldn't remember, even though I had this beautiful binder in front of me <laughs> about what the best way to do it was. And 
Julie said, hey, you know, this is this is what I recommend if you can do it. And luckily, the, the hospital was very accommodating to that. So I think it was, I did like two units every hour, I think it was. And at that point, things were going well. The contractions were getting intense. It had gotten up to a level eight of the Pitocin. And I was, you know, I'm, you know, going through pretty intense contractions. Once it clicked up to level 10 of the Pitocin, I was, I was in a lot of pain. I was having a hard time breathing. My husband was texting Julie and, you know, she was saying, hey, try this position, try this position. And I labored on the toilet and I labored in the shower. I labored, you know, on all fours. I did, you know, everything that I could. And it was just getting so intense to the point where I was having a hard time breathing in. I could breathe out beautifully, but I couldn't breathe in. And that's the point when I said, you know, I just, I needed to get an epidural because it was taking so much out of me that I was a little nervous. I was, I was going to pass out or just not have the energy to push when the time came. So at that point I did get the epidural, which was a godsend. And I don't know if you guys had felt like this, if you had an epidural, but once I had it, I kind of felt like a little bit out of it. I had oxygen on my face and I felt like I was watching everything from above as I was trying like the different positions to get baby to descend. And all of a sudden they, you know, they um, asked if they could check me. And as soon as I turned onto my back, the baby's heart rate dropped and it wasn't, you know, anything super scary. It was kind of a quick drop. And then it, they were able to stabilize baby and, and it was okay. They checked me and I was at seven centimeters. So I thought, oh gosh, this is good. This is going really, really well. But baby was really high in my belly. And after sitting in bizarre positions with the epidural, I didn't feel like I could get him low. So thankfully, again, if you have the choice to get a virtual doula or no doula, get the virtual doula. Because <laughs> again, I was texting Julie saying, okay, what should I try now? And how should I do this? And thankfully, I also had a nurse that was trained in spinning babies. So she suggested some positions. And so we were going to try the sideline release. So we got me on my side and we started to do it. And I probably was there for about a minute and uh, baby's heart rate dropped again. And this time it was, it was pretty scary. His heart rate went down what I thought was two minutes and later found out it was five minutes. And my husband's face was absolutely white as a ghost. And as they kept saying, you know, we're not getting the heart rate back up. We're not getting the heart rate back up. And there was a definite panic in the room. Finally, um, I switched sides again. His heart rate did come up and we just, they were like, just don't move. <laughs> so I stayed in exactly the same position until baby was quote unquote happy again. And thankfully he was, but it was every time I even even tried to roll a tiny bit onto a diff into a different position, the heart rate would drop again. I was starting to get, you know, I was definitely getting a little scared. Um, so my husband kind of looked at me and said, I'm getting a really bad feeling about this. And I, you know, I kind of dropped a little, my heart kind of dropped a little bit because I had wanted so bad to have a back. but we are very religious people. And I, kept thinking, you know, if he's getting this thought, there's something to it. So we stopped and we prayed the rosary and we just really thought about what should be the best decision. And 
in the middle of praying the rosary, my husband kept saying, I feel like somebody is holding this baby's hand and not letting him descend. And I knew as soon as he said that, there was a gut instinct that said, this is probably not our best solution to go ahead and try to push once I get to 10 centimeters, that it might be better to have a C-section. So I was nervous about this because I know the recovery of having a C-section and I have a 10 month old baby at home and I didn't want to not be able to pick her up or hold her. But at the same time, I wanted to get through this labor with a healthy baby and a healthy, and a healthy mama. And he just kept saying, if we get into the pushing stage and he gets stuck, we're going to be in an emergency. And I had that feeling too. I didn't want to voice it because I had trained so hard. I did everything I needed to do. And I mean, I ate, I think six pineapples that week. <laughs> trying to get myself in labor. I ate dates every single day. I did the exercises religiously. But you know when you get that gut feeling. And the one thing that I love about, you know, the VBAC link course is that they tell you if you get that feeling, you need to trust your instincts. And that's one of the hardest things to do when you want a VBAC so bad. So mm-hmm. I was scared. And I told the doctor came in and I told him, I, I told her, I said, listen, I'm not actually scared of the surgery. I'm scared of the recovery. I'm afraid that something catastrophic could happen afterwards, like, you know, a blood clot or something crazy like that. And because I had that VBAC link training, I was able to say to the doctor, listen, you might think this is silly, but this is what's bothering me. And this is why I'm scared. And I literally said to her, I'm scared I'm going to get up and have a blood clot. I'm scared you're going to try to get me to walk and I could have an aneurysm or something like that. And she was shocked that I asked those questions and said, you know, why, how did you even hear about this stuff? And I said, well, I did a lot of research and I'd had a C-section before and you hear stories, you know, horror stories of vaginal birth, horror stories with, with a C-section, but I, I need to know that you're going to, you're going to look out for these things and, and be on my side and take care of me after the surgery. And she was really kind. She went through all of the rests, which were so minuscule. Um, When she said the statistics of having something like a blood clot or an aneurysm or something like that afterwards, it eased my mind big time. And I think also having the VBAC link training, because you go over the risk of uterine rupture. And then once you hear that the statistics are lower, your mind rests a little bit and it eases your mind. So once I heard that the statistics were things that I was probably a little irrationally afraid of, you know, it eased my mind. And I don't think I would have been able to do that if I didn't have that training. And once I did get that training, (laughs) okay, again, sorry. Um, Once I did, you know, once I had the training, it gave me the confidence to speak to the doctor about that stuff. So we went on and I went to my plan C and I told the doctor, listen, I was not expecting to have a C-section, but because I made a plan A, a plan B, and didn't want to make a plan C, but decided to make a plan C after I took your class, I knew if I had to have a C-section, these were things that I wanted. And the things that I wanted were, I wanted to have the clear curtain so that I could see my son. I wanted to have the cord pulse out for as long as humanly possible you know, in in a safe manner. And I wanted to listen to music. I didn't want to be in an environment that was scared. 
And I also didn't want my hands to be tied down. I don't know if that happened with either of you guys, but in my first C-section, they had Velcro that like kind of strapped your arms down. And yeah, that to me, me was too. traumatic. Yeah, I it was just a horrible feeling. I felt like I had no control over what was happening. And I did not want to experience that again. I had done a lot of work to heal from that. And then I just, you know, was just adamant about it. And they were like, yeah, absolutely. You know, they were very accommodating. So when we went into the um, into the surgery room, the atmosphere of the nurses and the anesthesiologist and my surgeon was so light. I mean, my surgeon was literally dancing as she like dressed in her like gown and stuff like that. And everyone was coming to talk to me and they made, I, they had my Jesus music on and God bless their souls because I played, have you guys heard the song Stand in Your Love? It's, it says over and over, my fear doesn't stand a chance when I'm standing in your love. And I played that song on repeat the entire surgery because it was the only thing that kept my mind grounded. Um, my husband talked to me the entire time. The anesthesiologist talked to me the entire time. And they were all kind of joking. And I was just so relaxed. My hands weren't tied down. I had like little straps I could hold on to if I chose to. I had my rosary in my hand. And everything was just really light. And then they kept pressing down on my belly to try to get the baby out. They were pressing my rib cage, actually. And I kept saying, you're going to break my ribs. It didn't hurt that bad, but I could, I just feel the pressure. And that baby was so high <laughs> up in my, up in my, um, my belly that they, it took a while to get him out. But once they did, they dropped the curtain. My son like locked eyes with me the entire time while his cord pulsed out. They just held him here. I don't, that woman's arms must have been so like strong because my baby was eight pounds and 11 ounces. And she held him there the entire time. I think we were there for like three or four minutes while the cord pulled out. And then as soon as as soon as it was done, they let my husband cut the cord and they brought the baby right to me. They didn't do anything else. He came right and was right on my chest and sat there for a long time. They actually did finish the rest of the surgery and closed me up. And he was on my chest the entire time. In fact, my husband didn't even get to hold him. And then when they were done, you know, they, they did everything they needed to do. They measured him. They waved him. Um, my husband got to hold him as they were wheeling me back. And it was beautiful. It was the most amazing experience. I was on cloud nine. I had just the calm sense that the peace that was in that operating room and the bubble that me and my husband were in was something I have never experienced before. And it was just, it was a miracle. It was, it was quite frankly, probably one of the most beautiful births and situations I had ever been in. And I attest it all to being prepared beforehand because nothing, I'm definitely a people pleaser and I would have never went and said, Hey, this is what I want. You know, and when they kind of gave me like, eh, I'm not sure about the clear curtain, I said, I, that is very important to me. Please, can you try to make that happen? And they did. And it was amazing. <laughs> it was absolutely amazing. So I'm so thrilled and so grateful for everything that you guys have, have bestowed upon me um, in terms of training and all that good stuff. And for Julie kind of being there 
um, virtually <laughs> the entire time. Yeah, I love that. Um, before I get into like a valuable lesson that you actually taught me during your birth, I want I want to ask you more or have you talk about talk more about like having backup plans, plan A, plan B, plan sure. C. Do you want to talk more about that? Sure, sure. So plan A for me was going into spontaneous labor, not using any medications, and having my beautiful vaginal birth that I envisioned. I had, you know, a couple of other different ones in there, but that was the gist of my plan A. Plan B was, you know, if I have to get induced to not use the epidural and to stay as long as possible without the epidural. And I had been in a 38-hour labor before with no epidural until hour 28. So I am very well aware of how painful contractions can be with Pitocin. But I was determined to just, you know, my goal was, okay, plan B, if they have to induce me, do Pitocin, do two units every hour, and then have them turn it off so that my body could take over. And that was my plan B. And I also wanted to be able to birth the baby and catch him in my arms and bring him right to my chest. And I just loved that image. So that was part of my plan A and plan B. And I did not want to plan plan C. <laughs> I was just like, I'm not doing it. I don't want to. And it wasn't until I took your course that I said, okay, I probably should do this. It's the responsible thing to do. So I kind of thought about it for a long time of, okay, if I have to do a C-section, what, what would make me feel a lot more comfortable? And I kind of, one of the things was listening to the different podcasts you know, on your, on the VBAC link of people who had had cesareans that they, that they thought were beautiful and that they enjoyed the process. And then doing my own research of just hearing people's stories. So I came up with little things and things like music made the biggest difference in the entire world. It just kept my mind calm and having the sheet. I didn't even know that there was a sheet before starting to like research this stuff without having the clear sheet so you could see everything after they're doing the surgery, they don't let you see it during surgery. <laughs> but I would say my biggest piece of advice to anyone would be have that plan C, have A, B, and C, and be so at peace with all of them, like love every part of them, because that made all the difference in the world. Yeah, I really like that about you. Like most people, I mean, we've talked about it before on the podcast, but like most people are like, oh, good vibes only, positive stories only, don't want to even think about a C-section because I don't want to manifest something wonky out mm -hmm. to the universe. And yeah. something that I really like is like your eagerness to learn and get educated, but also your faith, right? So right. Kay and I um, are from different secular backgrounds. But we both believe in God, right? And I, and mm -hmm. no matter what you believe in, right? Whether you believe in a divine power or you don't believe in anything at all, like we all have our intuition that that can guide mm -hmm. us and trust us. Um, and it was really admirable when I was working with you, Kay, like through the whole way, like all the way, like through our prenatals, through your birth, and even like post birth when we had our little visit you always trusted in God and you trusted in yourself and you trusted that you knew, you knew what would be the right thing to do if plans ever had to change and mm. plans did change. 
And that's why having a plan A, B, or C, I always call them like A is like, hey, well, your perfect plan, if everything goes perfectly. Mm -hmm. And then B is the backup plan. And then C is your Sarian plan, right? I, I like to encourage all my clients to have that, but not everybody wants to talk about it. And right. that's one thing we do over in detail in our course, like you said, about the importance of having one of those. And you can make it and know what's available to you and then just fold it up, tuck it in your pocket and never even think about it again. But mm -hmm. if you need it, guess what? You pull it out and it's there and you're prepared and you can enter into your birth in a really um, com more confident way. And I really like how you said that you were talking with your providers about your concerns. Like you were asking questions, they were talking with you. And, and this is a thing I think that is hard for us to remember as people, right? When we're working with providers and when we're working with people who do birth all the time, right? Is that they have a system, right? We all know that. You you go into the system, you check in, you labor. If you need an epidural, you need an epidural. If you need a cesarean, you get a cesarean, right? All, well, all of what they do is very routine and they're used to all of it. So they go through the steps and go through the motions. But what we, I think what we don't give providers credit for is their willingness to deviate from the standard of normal. Now, not, not all of them. <laughs> Keep it, I, I'm not talking about all of them, but I think most providers have that heart and mindset that if you just talk to them and ask questions or about your concerns or about about your options or being really insistent, like for you, it was the clear drape. They're like, oh, we don't normally do that. And you're like, no, I need that. And they're like, okay, well, let's figure out how to make it work. I think most providers, if given the chance and if asked questions, would respond in a similar way. And so I think that's really great that you were able to stand up for yourself and the things that you knew based on what you we had talked about and what you had learned in our VBAC prep course for parents is that it gave you the confidence to ask that when you had to pull out your plan C. Yeah. And you know what? I totally forgot to mention this, but so before I got pregnant with uh, my son, I went through two and a half years of fertility issues, unexplained infertility, and just, I mean, went through the gamut of issues. And I knew that I didn't, couldn't handle kind of mentally with the IVF and all that sort of stuff. So I am, you know, stayed on kind of more of a holistic path of trying to get pregnant and, you know, just do that type of thing. So they were always pushing me to get surgery and said, you know, something's probably going on. You should probably get surgery to see, you know, look at your ovaries, look at your uterus, look at your tubes to see if anything's going on. So, you know, what? when I was on the operating table, I said, um, you know, I said the doctor's name and I said, hey, can you do me a favor? Um, I went through two and a half years of fertility issues and they were always pushing me to get surgery to see if everything was healthy um, on my female parts. Can you take a look for me while you're in there? <laughs> and it was as if she was like, you know, in the grocery store. And I was like, hey, can you grab some milk for me? And she was like, oh, yeah, sure. No problem. Let me uh, <laughs> let me get through this part and then I'll check them for you. And she did. She went through and she goes, there's two beautiful ovaries. Oh, your tubes look great. And and I said, what about uh, my intestines? They always mention something about my intestines, you know, like maybe they're scar tissue. And then she was like, okay, give me a couple seconds. And then, you know, a minute later, she goes, oh, your bowels look beautiful. <laughs> it, what like, a weird really compliment things. to have, huh? Right. <laughs> oh, your bowels, they look beautiful. You're like, thank you. I am glad that my bowels are in good shape. <laughs> it's so true but it's like, an, it's a really good you know, thing. Yeah. And like, after having people question that something's wrong, 
so for so long, it starts to get in your head and you think, oh my gosh, is there something wrong? Should I have gone through with the surgery? And but to have like, I would have never in a million years asked that question if I had not gained the confidence through the parent prep course. Like there's no way I would have ever done that. But like now they close me up and I go, hey, I know my insides are all healthy too. <laughs> so, well, and I just imagine you, <laughs> I just imagine you like, sitting there on the operating table, like you're literally open and yep. having these conversations with the provider, like, oh my gosh, to be a fly on the wall. I mean, hopefully there's not flies in the operating room. You know what I mean? But, um, but just, just how actively involved in your birth you were along the whole, pro like throughout the whole process. And there's, I mean, so many more details that I know that I feel like we could talk about your birth for like two hours, but I want to like say, I want to share a lesson that I learned from your birth. So during this process, I was just at home and as Kay said, you know, sending text messages and taking phone calls from them and helping them through labor with different positional ideas and different things to do and try and how to help them like through the induction process and all of those things. And so I'm just like hanging out, just, you know, waiting and, and checking in if I haven't heard after, after so long. And, and then, um, Last I heard, her husband had sent me a text message asking about a different position because baby wasn't engaging. And I'm like, super cool about that. I know all these positions. I send him a couple ideas and I'm like, okay, if you, if you, this doesn't work, then call me. And I know like a be all end all to baby engagement that I have only seen not work one time in my entire doula career. And so I was just waiting, expecting them to say like, oh yeah, baby's engaged or okay, we need to try the one more thing. But I get a text message from her husband saying, baby's heart rate's not doing so great. We're going into a cesarean where <laughs> we are at peace with it. And it like completely caught me off guard. I was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And I started crying to my husband. I'm like, oh my gosh, these poor clients, like their birth and is cesarean. And, and, you know, cause I just made all of these assumptions that you are not okay with it because most of the time when people like try for VBAC, they feel at least some degree of sadness at the loss of that birth experience. And so I like text back. I'm like, okay, if you're confident in that decision, I support you. Let me know if you have any questions. And then her husband's like, all right, pictures are coming next. So I can like see pictures of the baby. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess, I guess that's it. Like it's settled. And so I was with my husband just watching shows. This was in the middle of the night and we were just watching shows, just waiting to hear the word. And I wanted to be able to chat with her for a little bit afterwards, like while well, she was in the recovery room. And I remember when she, I finally got the call, like, like my doula, my doula self was ready. Like I was ready to like help her like cope through this the loss of this birth experience that she wanted so badly, right? Because that's what we do as doulas. We help people cope through hard things sometimes. And Kay, you called me and we were talking and, you know, I could hear a little baby cooing in the background. There's like hustle and bustle in the room. And after, you know, you had talked to me for a little while, I, I was like, okay, well, you know, I'll let you go for tonight, but we'll talk more tomorrow. But like, I just want you to know that it's okay to be so excited that you have a baby, a happy, healthy baby right now, but also it's okay to feel sad about the loss of that VBAC experience that you wanted and worked so hard for. Cause that's kind of like my usual, usually what I tell people. And if they end up in a repeat cesarean, I'm like, it's okay to feel both of those feelings, like trying to bring this peace to her, you know, and just say, it's okay. Just feel all the things we need to feel them. 
And I will never forget the words that you said to me. You said, okay, I'll keep that in mind for labor, but right now I am just on cloud nine. Like you <laughs> could tell like you were smiling. You were so happy. Like God was with you through your whole journey. You were prepared. You made all the right decisions. And like knowing norm, knowing more about what happened now, it's easier for me to, to look back and, and see that. And maybe I would have said different things if um, I was actually there with you in person, but it kind of took me off guard for a little bit. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I, even as doulas, like Megan, I'm sure you're still learning too. Like every, like every birth, we take something with us and it helps us be a little bit better a doula for the next person that we support. And that's one thing I'm never going to forget is that, and most, and I, you're probably maybe the first client I've ever had that's actually said that to me, like fresh out of the cesarean, like baby was less than an hour old. And you're mm -hmm. like, I don't even, I, you're, you're like, you were so confident that you were supported, that you tried your best and that you were educated and you made all the right choices that all you were is on cloud nine and that you could look back at your birth so instantly with such happiness. And, and I mean, the conversation has been the same since we've chatted ever since then. And it was just a really good thing, I think, for you to say that to me, because sometimes we just make assumptions, right, about how people feel about their births or how they, or how they respond based on other people that we've seen in similar situations. Mm -hmm. Well, and I yeah. think that sometimes as a doula, especially doulas who have had cesareans and then gone on to feedback or haven't gone and, and know the passion behind wanting to like go on and have that feedback sometimes can reflect a little bit more in their own experience of how they feel as a doula because they knew that you wanted that, right? So like mm -hmm. the hardest thing, and this is maybe a message for birth workers, as Julie was saying, like, you know, you gave this lesson to her is for birth workers is we have to remember not to assume that someone else is to feel the way we felt about our own birth. Because I feel like there's yeah. sometimes too, where I've had like a client go in for action and I was super bummed for them. But mm -hmm. at the same time, they were completely content with it because again, in the end, they look back and they're like, I did everything and this is the way it happened. And I chose this and I feel good about this. I feel confident about this. And, you know, us as birth workers, we have to be okay to be confident with them as well and be okay with their outcome. Yeah. I think that's maybe yeah. one of the hardest parts about being a doula is like, we get so emotionally invested in working with all of our clients and, and then when we see clients go through, you know, the process of like an unplanned cesarean, no matter if it's a VBAC or a CBAC or just a first initial cesarean, I think we always like start mourning that loss for them. And not always maybe, but like, at least for me, I like have to really check my headspace to make sure that like, I don't start making assumptions about how they feel about their birth before they tell me how they feel about their birth. And I totally did that with you, Kay. Like I was totally just had my speech all ready to go. I was like <laughs> getting ready for like when you were, were going to call me. And it, it was just like, I, you know, we all learn lessons along the way. And sometimes we have to relearn these lessons and relearn these lessons. And, and yeah, that was just very valuable to me. Uh, that you said, I'll never forget it. And, and the happiness in your voice. And I hung up the <laughs> phone after talking with you and I, after my husband, I was like still crying a little bit because I was like so sad for you. Right. But like, why was I sad yeah. for you when you were so happy? And I told, yeah. my, I told my husband, I was like, well, he's like, how'd the call go? And I was like, well, she's really excited and happy. So I guess, 
I'm really excited and happy too <laughs> for her. <laughs> it was just such well, an interesting, just an interesting change of feelings, I guess, from, again, maybe that's just the, the thing that comes with virtual doula support, right? Is that we help and support and send information and call and answer questions just as if you would do it in person. But because we're not there sensing the emotions and feeling those things, I pulled in my own emotions. Right. So, yeah. but I really, I just, I will remember that conversation after, after your birth for the, the rest of my life, probably. <laughs> well, it's interesting too, because I have been on both sides of it. I have had a vaginal birth and I had a C-section after not expecting to have a C-section in any way, shape or form. And then with that C-section, I had all those feelings that you're referring to. I had the disappointment and the, you know, the what if, what if I tried this? What if I tried this? But then having this C-section, because it was my own, because I dictated it, the nurses and the doctors wanted me, not the doctors, the nurses, I think they were disappointed when I decided for a C-section, but I knew it was the right decision. We had those instincts. We prayed about it. We had that gut intuition. And that is completely why I felt so in control because I know if I had started, if I kept going, that I could have been in a dangerous situation and my gut was just telling me this is not the right choice. And because I had that, my husband had it. It was my, it was my plan. Nobody, it was nobody else's plan except mine, where the first one, I was not in control. So I think it's so normal. But, you know, I feel like there should also be a, like, your cesarean can be beautiful too, because this was such a beautiful beautiful experience and even though you train for it, it it can still be so so peaceful and so like I will look back on this birth with nothing but happy memories because I did my best I trained I tried everything and this was the path that it was meant to take and I am totally I'm so at peace with that and I absolutely love it so I, I love that you said that <laughs> I love yeah. how you said that, like, this was your plan. This was not anybody else's plan. Even though it wasn't plan A, it was still right. your plan because mm -hmm. you had taken the time to make a plan C and you had taken the time to get educated and tr and trusted your intuition. You really trusted and honored that instinct and what you needed to do. So I I just love that, that, that this was your plan. It was nobody else's plan. And I think that that's really yeah. important. Well, I think we have a couple <laughs> questions. Sure. to ask you we've been forgetting to ask questions megan last week when we recorded like five episodes i don't think we asked questions a single one so it's been a while <laughs> i know i know but i remember um, this time <laughs> do you want to ask yes. those sure um so what best tip for someone preparing for a VBAC? preparing for a VBAC, i would say to make plans a b and c um i know it's something we said over and over again but to have all of those plans and know that each one of them can be absolutely beautiful and to kind of revel in each of those plans. If this happens, if A happens, awesome, euphoric. If B happens, it's also euphoric. And if C happens, it can also be euphoric if you have this, this, and this in place and to figure out what is going to be important for you. So I think it's just as important to listen to all those beautiful VBAC stories as it is to listen to beautiful feedback stories because it does not have to be the trauma that most of us have experienced in our first C-section. It can be different. That would be my advice. <laughs> love it. I love it. 
And I, I also know, like, listening to Seaback stories or uterine eruption story, you know, like, some of the harder stories that we share on here, they can be hard to hear because mm-hmm. it can be something that you're like, wait, no, that's not what I want to hear because I don't want to, I don't even want to imagine myself going there. Right. But you, there's so much you can learn with those stories. So I try to encourage people to find, find a space for that. And that might mm-hmm. take time, but find a space yeah. for it because I think you'll be pleasantly surprised when you listen and you learn more. Yeah. And Agreed. you'll feel more in control at the end. Interested in sharing your VBAC? Head over to the VBAClink.com slash share to submit your story. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the VBAClink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.